for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Look, we're all going to struggle at times as elk hunters. And last week we talked about how to revisit those struggles and come back even stronger. But on tonight's show, for part two of the discussion, it's all about becoming an efficient elk hunter. What it means what it takes. Look, y'all, this is about sharing years and years of experience to help you take it to the next level consistently and efficiently. Those topics along with our Elk Bros shout outs and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk, and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And for those blue-collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of the show, coming to you from Spring, Texas, and from Katy, Texas, the one and only. That's right, Luis Gonzalez is in the house. <laughs> and from Cimarron, New Mexico, your elk hunting coaches, Leroy Chav, Chavez, Howdy. and Joe Gillia do in the house here all the way down from Vermejo Park, Joe. Give us some feedback on all that snow, brother. 30 oh, inches. 30. 30 wow. Inches. Oh, 30 inches. That is not right. Yeah, it's that, unbelievable. That's feet, Joe. That ain't inches. My Lord. Oh, my goodness. It And, and it was just <clears> pounding. <throat> and you're trying to get out there and, and move around and hunting that stuff. And, uh, yeah, it made, it made for an interesting hunt, but man, uh, man. man, I tell you what, I, I I did a cow elk hunt with two gentlemen 
And and I, and I want all y'all to hear this. The <clears throat> most fun that I have ever had on a rifle elk hunt. I've I've guided trophy elk hunters, man, with the rifle. Now some incredible animals and you know incredible hunts. But I am telling you this: the cow elk hunt to me with these guys was the most fun I have ever had on a Absolutely. rifle elk hunt. And I mean, it was like. Man, it was uh, so cool, and, you know, it's something that, <clears throat> to see the genuine happiness on these guys, uh, and, I mean, it, it there were things that happened during that hunt. It was so hard, and you had the snow. Uh, I had a gentleman that was crawling on a stalk, belly up, man, trying to get in so we could get a shot right behind me. And, uh, I mean, I, I took him to the hilt, man. So it was a blast. It was That's so much cool. fun. And One thing you're going to know when you hunt with Mr. Joe, you're going to go to the to the nth degree to get it done, yeah. buddy. I promise. So, Joe, uh, yeah, if I get this right, I mean, <clears throat> this was the last day of the hunt, and then this big snow comes in, and now, you know, options are limited, and you had to make a, 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 a executive decision, decision yeah. To, yeah well to actually, get out there and, and made man. it happen the last hour of the hunt huh yeah our, our hunter actually thought because i mean we tried going out in the morning and and we couldn't i could not see the road now it's one thing when you're on a highway and you got stakes coming up but you get out yeah. there in that country trying to go places mm -hmm. yeah. and it's a wide out and you're not able to see anything you end up in a hole you end up in a crevice it becomes yeah, dangerous it's, so yeah it's a safety yeah, issue safety. at that point yeah. so i turn and i'm like well and you know the elk are not moving and that stuff they're all bedded down it's coming down so hard and we we're just we we're just blowing time really and i was like yeah. man we can't do this let's go back and they literally thought the hunt was over it was last day and you know i i I realized there was another option, and we drove an hour and a half down to lower elevation to go to that option. And uh, near near Cimarron, actually, I went I went down near my own home in an area that I have never been in before, and it's right there by my own home. And uh, oh. and when I called and said, "Hey, get ready, we're going," they were like, "Huh?" <laughs> so, so we drove an hour and a half, man. Uh, imagine that on a ranch that big, you got to drive an hour and a half to get to another God. part of it, man. So God. we, well, and it probably was because of the snow, it was probably almost two hours because it took me two hours to get back to Vermejo from there trying to get wow. back in the snow. And, uh, and it was, uh, it, it was just really cool because, you know, I hate to give up on something. And to see that snow and everything, it was like, man, we can still do this. We go down, and we are basically in flatland country and, and find an incredible herd of elk. And we get on them, and we we put on two epic stalks and end up uh, making it happen there. And, I mean, I, I tell you, I was just proud of these guys. It was way cool. It was awesome. Resourceful now, Joe, man, making it happen. <laughs> now, I want to talk about something because <clears throat> Luis has just finished a video that's going to be on our Elk Bros channel pretty soon um, and working the arrow build, correct? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So and, I, I broke it down. It, it's, it's a long video, Joe, but yeah. it's actually got three sections. Mm -hmm. um, well, I guess you could say four sections. The first section is just kind of me walking – people through the 12 factors from Dr. Ashby, just that, that enhanced penetration. 
So right. I call that section A, and then I just have timestamps on the video to where you can go to each one of the 12 factors. And then section B is the process I went through to pick my spine and my arrow and my insert mm -hmm. weights. Awesome. And um, also has those steps. Section C uh, is the process I use to build my arrows. So once I know what my arrow is going to look like, what I do with it, how I cut it, how I glue it, and all that stuff. And then the last section is just a, a little talk on conclusions and kind of show the differences between my previous setup and my newest setup. Yeah, way cool. I think it's uh, – I'm excited. I'm excited for everybody to see that. We've had people sending in emails asking to see that. So it's on yeah. its way, man. It's way yeah. cool. And, hey, I just want to take a quick parenthesis here, and let's go back to introductions Beto, mm -hmm. if you're not going to be, you know, calling me for my righteous name of the leader of the Venezuelan <laughs> mafia, we're going to have some issues here because Manano is, wants to be no show, you know. And so I don't know <laughs> no what kind of leadership show. you are confusing him for, but, I, I mean, this you, is dude. this ain't, it ain't happening. You hey, man, I'll, have it, I'll have it fixed, duly noted, and I'll have it fixed. Okay, okay, thank you. I, I, just, I just wanted to make that I point. Understand Move, that. Moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> All right, move us moving right along, along, dude. Moving right along, guys. The countdown continues. This yeah. is the 93rd episode of our podcast, only seven away from our 100th show. Seven away from the big 100, man, yes, episode. How cool is that? It's very cool. Uh -huh. And to our listeners, we are looking for two of our grinders that want to join us. The Elk Bros on our 100th episode of Blue Collar Elk Hunting. If you want to join us, here's what you do. Right. So it's, it's simple. There's only uh, two things that you need to tell us by writing us uh, to us uh, at info at elkbros.com. So that's I-N-F-O at elkbros.com. Just tell us two things on your email. One, first tell us about your journey this year as an elk hunter but i believe joe i mean it doesn't have to be just this year it has it could be your journey could be several years long i mean absolutely just, uh, man i just mean tell us everything that has brought you to this point as far as an elk hunter right, yeah joe? yeah yeah and then uh secondly why would you like to join us on our 100th episode we <laughs> just need a question yeah. why would yeah. you want to do this yeah man? i mean what, what, uh, <laughs> that's the reason why you want to do this no and look it's been cool we've uh <clears throat> received a ton of emails so far very interesting stories inspiring stories and um uh, cool journeys and so yeah i mean feel free to share with us and i believe that uh you know it, it doesn't it doesn't end with being selected or not for the show oh uh, no right. Uh -uh. Right. Uh -uh. right guys man it doesn't matter if you didn't if you did or you didn't punch your tag this year or if your hunt's still coming up you know we'll yeah. be selecting two of the grinders out there that are giving and we'll be giving them some gear as well from uh, others that are that ride in as well yeah uh, yeah I'm, and i'm interested to see what uh what all we get as far as the gear and how we put that out there right also a few if any of you our listeners have a special topic that you would like us to discuss on our 100th episode, we would love to hear it. Remember, send all letters and topics to info, I-N-F-O, at elkbros.com. 
Yeah, and and guys, you know, I know a lot of you uh, follow us on Instagram and stuff, uh, but you need to send in that email so that I can forward it to the rest of the crew. They don't see all the Instagram stuff until it's posted, so they don't see any of the direct messages most of the time unless I copy, paste, and forward stuff like that. So you help us out <laughs> because, man, time is of value these days. Trust me. Yeah, I, no I, I'm like Everybody's a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest, man. That's busy. Well, guys, y'all know what time it is. Shout it's time out, for shout the Elk Grove Shop. If you're new to our show, out. just a shout out to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. And but this hope, is we're adding a little twist, aren't we? Oh, heck yeah, man. Uh, this came up from Chav. Chav did this because Chav's been doing our research. And uh, and I'm up in the mountain. Chav sends me a thing. And, he's, and I'm like, how do you know what cities to do? And he's like, you know, we're getting all these letters from people that want to join us on our 100th episode. So he kind of randomly picked some of those guys so that we could do shout-outs to cities or towns from some of our grinders that have been riding in to join us on our 100th episode. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, Chad, uh, man, he, you know, he's always in the dark. Professional. Yeah, brilliant wisdom. ideas, man. <laughs> That's right. Sure. First up on this town is part of the St. Louis metropolitan area and has been in existence since 1823. A main attraction near the city of the Frenchman's Bluff where legend has it that the Indian princess and her French lover leaped off a cliff to their death to avoid capture by the natives in none other than Troy, Missouri or part Missouri. Missouri. (laughs) Missouri again, man. Absolutely, Uh, buddy. Yep, absolutely. Show me state showing out. I I remember you saying show me state last week, so I know that they're showing up, right? Exactly. Uh, Our next town, right here in New Mexico, is located 35 miles north of the Mexican border. I don't know. Did you just hear my voice crack, man? I think I'm going through poverty. (laughs) (laughs) So, So it's located 35 miles north of the Mexican border in New Mexico. Founded in 1881, a silver spike was driven here to commemorate the meeting of the Southern Pacific Railroad with the Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe Railroads, the second transcontinental railroad in the United States. But here's the cool thing, and I've always thought this is neat, that this city is home to the world-famous Duck Race, which is an annual week-long festival, which you know what they do? Mm. They race ducks. Good <laughs> that's, what, that's what they do. Okay. Man. Yeah. <clears throat> you got to be certain kind of duck, or can you race any duck? Or you can race any duck, man. As that's long as awesome. they quack. Yeah, can my nano participate? They have a race. I don't want to eat them all. <laughs> they have a racetrack. <laughs> they hold on to their duck, and I mean, they drop them and t- first one to the finish <laughs> line, man. <laughs> that's that's cool. interesting. Yeah, it's fun. It's awesome, man. Only so in, in Deming, Deming New, Mexico. New Mexico. Deming, yep. what part of the state is Deming race. in? Uh, uh, it's the southern part of our state, right on the right on the border. Uh, it's oh, an with I-10, Mexico. I mm-hmm. yeah. What's that? 10. I think it's on Interstate Ten. Gotcha. Interstate Ten. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Next up, this town was first settled in 1738, and was originally called Hess's Mill after Jacob Hess, who built a grist mill on the Little Antietam Creek. Home to eight different cave systems, a feature attraction in the area is the Crystal Rotos Caverns. 
Another attraction is the near, uh, that is nearby is the site of the famous Civil War battle, the Antietam National Battleground. And this is in none other than Kittyville, Maryland. Is it Kettyville, Kittyville? I, I would have said Kittyville. But... Kittyville, yeah. Kittyville, Maryland. Kittyville, yeah. And I think that's Grotto's Cavern. Uh, I don't know because it has the E on the end of it. But, yeah, I, you know, Maryland, all the way. That's about as much East Coast as you can get over there. Right? You I thought, I, thought I nailed in Kittyville. Nope. <laughs> Any further east, in the drink, buddy, in hey, the big pond. You you totally nailed Antietam, man. I I yeah. went online I to listen to how they pronounced that. Well, guess what I did. <laughs> <laughs> exact same thing. He looked at it in the phonetic spelling, Joe. I was gonna say it, but if I didn't, if I wouldn't have done that, I would have been like Antietam. Antietam. So, so did you look up Kittyville? How to pronounce I did it? Not. You looked up the battleground, but you didn't yeah. look up the name that you're shouting out. I had that one handled, but I guess not. So, oh yeah. my gosh, that yeah. that's like B camera stuff right there. Yeah. I know. I know. Hey, man. We've been kicking. We've been killing you all week with the C camera stuff, man. Oh man. <laughs> no camera. That's what we're talking about. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this next city is known as the hub of Pennsylvania's Amish country, and the home of the fifteenth president of the United States, James Buchanan, and an ab- abolitionist. Thaddeus Stevens, uh, one of the oldest inland towns in the United States. It was originally called Hickory Town in 1861. During the Revolutionary War, it served as the capital of the U.S. when the Continental Congress fled Philadelphia. It is home to the Conestoga Wagon and the Pennsylvania Long Rifle in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Man, hunting, I hear that over in Pennsylvania, that's where so many of those outdoor shows go on. I mean, if you really want to uh-huh. go find out places to go, I mean, out there in Pennsylvania is one of those places. Yep. I believe um, Lots of hunters. brother Brendan was in yes, Pennsylvania sir. not too he long is. ago uh, hunting some bear. So, hey, you Chav- didn't get any pictures, so I guess he didn't get one. Yeah. <laughs> Chav, how do you say that way that wagon? Because that, that's that big wagon that had the points on each end, right? They got kind of. Um, it might be Conestoga. Yeah, I think Conestoga. That, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, it, it's it's almost kind of U shaped at the top. They, you know, they yeah. kind of went up on each end. It wasn't mm-hmm. straight across. It, it had. Yeah, a, those big frontier wagons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had a definite look to it, and. Uh, all the way from Pennsylvania there. And Chad, why don't you do the last one since uh you were slacking okay. up front? <laughs> yeah. And some technical difficulties. Okay. This <clears throat> this town sits on the shore <clears throat> of Bear Lake in northeast Utah and is a popular destination town, thus nicknamed the Caribbean of the Rockies. The name came about because of the beautiful blue color of the lake. Hmm. It was settled in 1877 and was a Latter-day Saints branch. It also It's also home to world-famous raspberries and raspberry shakes. It's a must-stop for visitors. Another top attraction is the Paris Ice Caves in Garden City, Utah. 
Utah. Utah Garden in City. the house. Got some Thank big y'all, balls man. up in Utah. <laughs> and, and we didn't mention the names of uh, the individual letters and stuff on this. Uh, you'll be hearing those later on. But all you guys, I, we hope you enjoyed the shout-out to your town uh, that you've sent letters in for some of you. Uh, and... Guys, we are looking forward to getting more of those from you guys that are listening out there. And thank you so much to all the ones that we've got. All right? Yes, sir. Oh, so let's get uh, to topic. And everybody, part one from last week's podcast was, man, I, I thought we were going to get through it quick <coughs> so we could get to some to get to some uh, Elk Rose mailbox, but it wasn't so fast. It was an incredible discussion. And what we talked about is the fact that, Every single one of us, I don't care who you are, you're going to have a struggle at one time or another. Elk hunting, it's just a fact. It's elk hunting. Whether you punch your tag or not, we even, you know, it's important to remember that just because you punch your tag doesn't mean that you don't have things to work on. You're not able to become satisfied. You've got to really... You know, take a look and evaluate and look with perspective because, you know, there's a lot of reasons sometimes that you that we can, in the end, punch a tag but not be consistent from year to year to year to do that. And that's the goal is to consistently do that. So uh, the key when you face that struggle is do you make excuses or do you take an honest look at what was missing that contributed to your struggle? And a lot of times what's missing uh, are the elk, <laughs> right? Yeah, no doubt, man. <laughs> Hard to kill one when there ain't none. <laughs> it mm. really is. Mm-hmm. It, you know, uh, I still get texts all the time from guys out there, from, from elk bros out there, grinders out there, and they're telling me, like, man, we've been here for five days, Joe, and we've seen two elk, you know? So that struggle, a lot of times, I mean, it's hugely real. And oh, I can yeah. tell you sure. that there's so many of us and so many people out there and a lot of hunters that they prepare all through the year, and they make sure they have equipment. They make sure they've got their logistics done. They make sure they've got their buddies lined out. They make sure that, you know, they've got clothing that's going to help them out there. They have their camping gear. They do all that stuff. And then they get there, and they get feet on the ground, and it's like, where do I find the elk now? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like kind of doing things backwards. You just got to work on finding those things where you're short. And most of this has to do with knowledge. So tonight, in part two, being an efficient elk hunter is what our focus is on tonight. And when we're talking about being efficient, that is something that we want to be efficient, like Gilbert said in the beginning, efficient and consistent on that as well. And guys, when we talk about... Uh, because really I line this out to look at us as hunters a lot like other predators. And and you could almost do a discussion on this because there's so many people that that take a look at hunters and they think that hunting sometimes is barbaric, and yet they, they look at bears and they look at, at uh, different animals and they think, well, <laughs> you know, what's that? And then they say that's natural. Yeah, that, that it's natural. Not only natural, but they they look at them and they think, well, these animals, you know, they're 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 cute and they're cuddly, 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> you in the presence of one of them. <laughs> but you figure we, out they can eat you. Oh, well, and that's the thing is, is, is that nature, y'all, nature is, is, um, brutal. Brutal. I mean, brutal. 100, buddy. But and only so, the strong survive. Yeah. And, and those predators, you have efficient and inefficient predators. And here's what, when we talk about an efficient predator, an efficient predator is quick on the kill uh, because it keeps them protected. Uh, it, uh, uh, it keeps them from getting injured. Uh, they, they are really good at putting something down. I, I'll tell you. I, I, think, I think the only inefficient predator that, uh, survives is the humans. We the inefficient. Oh, the, that yeah, survives. Yeah, we can be real inefficient and still survive. I mean, inefficient yeah. predators in the wild—they don't survive. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, and let me let me go back on that. A bear is a very inefficient killer. Okay. Okay. In in other words, they are not quick with their kill. That's why. Uh, you'll see animals that'll try to get, like, for example, when a grizzly takes down an elk, it'll get on the back side of that elk and latch oh, its yeah. teeth into the spine so that that elk is not able to get at him with the horns, right? Okay. And efficient, they wear them down is what you're talking about. Yeah, and, 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 oh, okay. and basically will eat an animal alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, no what, that's, doubt. No that's doubt. what I mean by an inefficient killer. Got it, they, got it, they, got it. Yeah. So yeah, a, a rattlesnake is a very efficient. Predator. Very efficient. They Absolutely. strike one time, sit back, don't have to get trampled to death. They just wait for nope. the animal to die. They walk over there and suck him up, and nothing's harmed. You yeah, know? totally, really efficient. And not only are they efficient, but they eat the whole critter. Exactly, I mean, <laughs> and nothing goes to waste. <laughs> nothing goes nothing to waste. Goes to waste. And, yeah, and, and that's, I agree. And that's that's why the comparison that we're looking at as efficient and inefficient hunters um, is not yeah. so much that you are making the kill. It's Got also it. on the fact that you're not wounding the animal, mm-hmm. and you that know makes sense. That makes sense. I so, follow you now. So I was taking I was I was taking what you were saying, Luis. There is that really humans when it comes to the brutality of nature. Mm-hmm. If if we are efficient, we make one of the cleanest and quickest and most responsible kills there are. No doubt. Right. No doubt. Right. So for, and, being, uh, and being efficient takes practice. Absolutely. It, takes, it takes securing the skills to be able to manage the situation, uh, get yourself in position, and finish. And when mm-hmm. you finish the ethical way to finish, uh, it's very efficient. But it can be done in reverse and be very inefficient and uh and we where we look uh, so bad so, in in the public's eyes oh yeah but but see that's what i'm that, that's one of the points i'm trying to make because luis has actually brought up two ways that you can be efficient right number one you can be efficient in the kill uh as far as um being quick with the kill yeah right or you can be efficient in making a kill Mm-hmm. All right, so not not only you know it's two different things. I can make a kill, but that could be a long, slow death, no kind doubt. of like some of these inefficient predators do, mm-hmm. right? Um, our goal as hunters is to be efficient elk hunters to 
be able to take one every year, but as well to put that animal down as quickly, quickly and as humanely and ethically as possible. Yep. And, and because I mentioned this on a podcast that one of the reasons, one of the goals and one of the things that was important to me when we started wanting to educate people is because I would, in the woods, come across people many, many times and ask them, and, and look, I don't want this to be hunter bashing, but yeah. I want this to be educational, right? I mean, we're all hunters, and all of us at one time are going to wound an animal. But our goal is to help people to make some better decisions and to train better and, and to do things that are going to make them more efficient in two ways, right? But I would bump into people and I'd say, have you had any luck today? And they said, well, I stuck one this morning. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, and basically in that conversation, I find out, well, they saw the animal, not that they had a good angle, not that they had a good shot. They saw the rear end, they saw whatever, and they put an arrow in it. And that to me is something that we should never do. We should always hunt with a purpose and never take a shot unless we know that that's a killing shot. Now, can crap go south? We know that. We've talked about it, right? Mm -hmm. no, no matter what, we're hunting an animal that's trying to survive. And crap can happen no matter how hard we work at it. It's hunting. And mm -hmm. it's a life and death situation. And things don't always go our way. You know, I mean, we can work our butt off. We can do everything right and have things go wrong. Yep. But if you are an efficient hunter, then you are working at getting that jump, job done quickly. You're working at getting that harvest consistently, and you're working at doing it with deadly accuracy. Okay? Mm -hmm. So, And I think, I think to your point, Joe, um, in our journeys as hunters in our journeys as elk hunters i mean we owe it to ourselves as hunters and we owe it to the animals that we're hunting to ensure that we continue to acquire knowledge and gain experience to become better and to become more efficient and and i, I think you're probably going to be touching on all these points but that knowledge getting acquired it's, it's not only the knowledge of, I mean, there are so many departments of different knowledges that you need to acquire in order to kind of, you know, have the complete suite of knowledge and understanding. I mean, you can just break it down into the understanding the animal, understanding the hunt, survival, equipment, you know, as there's just so many things that as a hunter, yeah, like you mentioned, you have to have that thirst to get better into each one of those segments or, or the knowledge is key knowledge is key 100%. you know Power. because how many of his hunters you know <clears throat> we get a gun at a young age and we become really really great as far as being able to look and shoot where we want to shoot we understand <clears throat> our weapon but then what if you don't know the anatomy of the animal that you're hunting mm-hmm you know, what are you setting yourself up for? What are you setting that animal up for? Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, agreed. Agreed. 
Yeah. Not only no, the anatomy of the animal, it's also the type of gun that you're using. Where are you using that gun altitude? And go ahead, Beto. I'm sure yeah, you got it. And, and, you know, using the right gun for the equipment, the right projectile for the animal. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into gun hunting and our bow hunting, you know, our setups that we have. I mean, Luis has dove into some really technical things with arrow and weight forward and broadhead setup and all of those things, man, to make him more efficient at what he does. And, uh, you know, and it's, it's awesome. You know, I think the stuff we've learned going over the years, you know, this will be my 11th elk season coming up. Uh, Bro, I, I think I it's your 12th. Isn't it? Or is yeah, it the it, Yeah, my bad. It is. It is the 12th. I'm losing a little. Man, I'm trying to slow it down, Joe. <laughs> it will be my 12th elk season. Yeah. So uh, at, at the end of the day, I, I wished I had, you know, I wish I could have started this at a much earlier age. Um, however, I don't know that I would have been as polished as uh, we become as once we get a little older and value that, 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 polish right i mean mm -hmm. i think when we're younger we really kind of go through life with blinders on and we yeah. go 90 miles an hour with our hair on fire and we're like we'll knock them all down let god sort them out you know uh we <laughs> have that little bit of mentality and uh, at least i did when i was that young uh but boy when i started elk hunting i figured out real quick especially with a bow that you needed to be attention to details you know grinders tuning in thank you for listening to the blue collar elk hunting podcast our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at elk bros a lifetime of memories if you like what you hear or see you can get all of this information plus so much more from our base camp elk hunting training camp the first in a series of online courses from our blue collar elk academy our base camp training camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels this course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Basecamp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S.com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. Yeah.
Yeah. The, and you you hit it on the head, Joe. You got to know that animal uh, and its capabilities and its anatomy is mm-hmm. totally different than what we do here in the south and in the eastern part of the U.S. where we're hunting deer-sized mm-hmm. animals. And uh, when you step up to, you know, a, a quarter horse or, a, you know, a Clydesdale horse with big, huge antlers, um, and they make these god-awful like tyrannosaurus rex voices <laughs> they freak you out man i ain't lying you know i mean you get freaked Some, out sometimes Everything. they sound like mountain lions it's crazy <laughs> what, what i'm they... gonna speak to that power that you were just talking about but chad were you gonna say something a second ago oh uh, i was just gonna kind of allude to what uh gilbert was talking about too and we've mentioned it many times is that podcast on uh, shop placement Yes. Is one of the better ones around, and uh, I, I know a lot of people. Like you said, they they'll shoot at the body, not necessarily aiming at a certain spot. Got it. And I think spot. that that podcast really, uh, you know, is really a valuable piece of information that a lot of people can use. It's so it, that thing is so important to me, Joe. It, and it, it happened to me about seven years ago, six years ago, when my daughter killed an elk, and yep, I saw right. how fast it was dispatched. I'm right. Gonna, up with that and i'm gonna shoot my next animal and i shoot every animal there and i'm telling you it kills them so fast you won't believe it uh so for me when i when the when the the moment of truth arises i'm just hunting that spot right and when i get to when my pen gets to that spot it's aim small miss small let it go and uh, i'm telling you if it hits it in a circle like that it's 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 lights out I mean, and, great too. And Quick. not to not to wanting to make a plug out of the academy, but the oh. academy also <laughs> captures this uh, shot placement and the different angles, and it's pretty neat because it's got the elk in different positions, and and it's got an interactive uh, buttons to where you can I see a picture of an elk and kind of put put your mouse where you think. Um, uh, the shot should go when it flips over and it tells you where, you know, it should be. And so, I mean, stuff like that, it's just, uh, extremely helpful, especially for, you know, new hunters well, understanding the anatomy of the animal. Yeah. And you do want a, a quick, uh, kill and, you know, uh, you know, Joe was uh, visiting with us with me earlier this morning, telling me about, uh, his hunters that he had this weekend and both of them were hard shots, right? Yes, absolutely. And, and yet the, the, the shots that Gilbert, uh, that I saw Gilbert take last year and Manano and Luis, I, I think they all traveled even, even a shorter distance before they died. Yeah. Than the now, hard shots. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to speak to that because in, all right, we talk about, and I talk about shot placement and it's real critical that guys, you understand angles as well. And we can get back to that, but I really, when it comes to me guiding an archery hunter and guiding a rifle hunter, I I kind of go two different ways with that because we want that shot placement where Gilbert's exactly talking about. We're doing that mid-body three inches back, and we're taking out both lungs, and we're putting that animal down fast. With my rifle hunters, though, I want that lower third, and I want that heart shot. And the reason I want that is, yes, that animal... I saw a hard shot elk three days ago. 
I've, I showed these guys here a photo of that. Oh, on, yeah. on the front up. side, th that hole on the front side is about the size of a silver dollar, if not a little bit yes. bigger, where it hits that heart. On the back side, the heart is obliterated. Right. Yes. Literally yes. obliterated. Now, with that happening, with that set, that elk ran 50 yards one way, turned around and ran 50 yards another way. In other words, that animal ran over 100 yards with an obliterated heart, heart. <clears throat> which is unbelievable, and it speaks to the power of them. However, I still tell my rifle hunters to hit there because I know that that animal is going to go down in a certain amount of distance, and with the rifle, it can be tough at times to find blood, and especially in that first 100 yards, right? Yeah. So. Um, I like the lower third because with the lower third, again, if you're low, it's a clean miss. Yes. If you're up, you're in the boiler. And yeah. if you're right on the money, you're going to be able to tell the way that animal humps up because you will literally see, man, you'll, you'll see that hump and that head go down, man, when you hit that. And they, they go on the, the death run. I mean, mm -hmm. if they can do that. Now, I've also seen an elk hit like that take two steps and... And, and fall over. So it just depends on the reaction. And mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe I can say that the female are, are a lot tougher than the males. They're <laughs> tough, man. Oh, I'm man. You know, uh, super resilient. Yeah, I, yeah. I watched my son shoot one with the late Carl Gamage at 184 yards, was the first shot he made with the seven mag. And man, he hit her just, I mean, you couldn't have hit her any perfect boom. And yeah. she took it like a man, brother. I mean, just, <laughs> it just stood there and Carl looked at Logan. He goes, well, you better reload. <laughs> he, goes, <laughs> he gets his binoculars up and he goes, Oh, you got her good. I see the blood coming out of her. He said, just wait right there. And then all of a sudden the elk just went, thump, I mean, over. right over, but she took it like it was nobody's business, man. Just wow. all I saw in my binoculars was like just a little, boom, that was it. You know, yeah. but, uh, she took it good. And it was a long shot for a little man to make. And he put it right in the pocket, blowed her heart up. And, um, you know, it was no tracking job needed. We went right to her. So, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm with you, Joe. I, I like the lower third with the rifle. Like you said, a lot of times if we're low, we, it's a clean miss. No harm, no foul. If we're a little high, we're going to get all the good pump station. Yeah. And, uh, so, and, and the angles change. Down. The angle, I mean, you have so many more angles with the rifle than you do yeah. with the bow. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I can, but you have to understand those angles, man. 100%. And, I mean, there's so many people that shoot targets, and mm -hmm. they they shoot a uh, a 3D target, and on a 3D, especially if you shoot 3D hunting, they're going to have, like, you know, your 12 ring, your 10 ring, and all that stuff, mm -hmm. and they get so used to aiming for that, and none of those, when you shoot 3D, <laughs> account for angles. The angle, you're, right. Yeah, you're, you're right. always trying always trying to hit it in that same spot so for me people, it's about the off leg joe i'm always gonna yeah. bring my sight up that off leg and where it gets to the middle there that's when we'll let it rip you know yeah yeah because yeah. that's the right angle 90 percent of the time is where that off leg is absolutely right up the back side of that off leg when it gets to the center you, you know, always look you know, if, if I have an elk that's fronting me and I look at those front legs, I see both legs just like that. That means I've yeah. got a perfect frontal. Mm -hmm. If I'm seeing a, a short gap between there, I've got 
a quartering one way or the other, depending on how they're going. If I've got both legs together, I have me a broadside. Those legs, those front legs are key to angle on on that animal. And the position of the front leg, too, whether it's back or whether it's forward. Right. Traditionally, you want to get that leg forward because then it clears that clavicle. If that last rib, though, is, is right on the line with that, you know, back that bike back leg yeah. or off leg yeah that's a no shot at that point you're squartering yeah. way too much sure <laughs> right yeah no yeah. i agree if, if quartering sure. away uh, uh, yeah because your your margin i mean your error error margin it really increases right there for what mm-hmm. you're going to do mm-hmm. and uh you know uh when we get those different angles like that you know, for the bow, you really have to know what you're doing and consider that. You well, know? And that's all about, that's, again, it's all about being efficient, Joe. It's all yep. about putting your time in. Uh, you know, down here in the south, we get to hunt quite a bit, and we hunt a lot of pigs, and we hunt a lot of deer and things like that. So we, we really are mindful of that, those kind. We can practice a whole lot, mm-hmm. you know. And if guys aren't doing that, that just makes for an inefficient uh, opportunity when you go out west guys you you spent all this money okay you, you bought your tags you bought all the gas food cold beverages that you like to drink and everything else and you get up there in the mountains and you're not ready and then this this goes wrong because you hadn't put the time in understanding the animal that you hunt and Those you can put a lot of time in in some areas i mean yeah. uh you could have all your calling down you yep. could have your shooting way, you know, you could have all that down. And there's some things, other areas that you might yes. be weak in, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just like, um, uh, when we coach, you know, if, if we go and we play a basketball team that all they have is an inside game, well, right. we can figure, you know, then we're going to beat that because they're going to have weak areas. Sure. If all mm-hmm. they can do is shoot three point shots. Well, we can beat that because right. they're going to have yeah. weak areas. Sure and you if you go out there as a one trick pony and you have two strengths out of all these areas to be an efficient hunter, then you are not consistently and efficiently going to harvest that animal and guys what we're talking about here and and we didn't start it out but this is if if you were to ask us well guys (laughs) bros what does it take to be an efficient elk hunter these are the things we're now giving you and and louise started out exactly right man is number one the thirst for knowledge i mean that what he said is Bingo straight. And, you know, I was just, uh, I was talking with the Nata Grande boys just last night. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Nata Grande, but they are a New Me- another New Mexico podcast. Uh, and uh, it's Rodney Wood and Kyle Jackson, uh, some guys that I know very well. And Kyle has game and fish background. Rodney's been hunting forever. And it, it's a good one to learn. They talk about uh, about a lot of different things, and they talk about all kinds of hunting. So check that out. But I was just talking with them last night, and one of the things that I was talking about is how learning the knowledge that we need, that thirst. You know, what Luis has just did with that hour of doing his video on his uh, on his arrow built that's been taking hours and hours to do that well some people like myself don't want to do that right <laughs> but uh there, there's there's so many things that if you go in it's it's not 
I don't know, like I heard somebody say it's not the sexy. Um, it's not, uh, you don't get immediate feedback. It's not the cool thing. Like if I get a new pair of camo that other guys recognize, they're like, oh, cool camo. You know, or if I'm shooting my bow, I get immediate feedback if I hit that bullseye, mm-hmm. right? Uh, that's feedback. Uh, but what if I'm practicing my call? You know, yeah. I'm irritating my wife, I'm irritating my kid, I'm irritating my neighbors, <laughs> dogs are howling. If you're in Luis's case, the cats <laughs> c- came around his house for I don't know how long, right? Yeah. You know? Oh, they're a cat in Katy, Texas. Oh, yeah. Plus, plus yeah. and so the, the first thing that you do is, like, if you have one gag reflex, ask Chav. You yeah. know, if you have one gag reflex, you're like, oh, I'm not oh, doing this. Do that. That's the same way with yeah. Brendan. Brendan's like, oh, man, I can't hardly go with this thing. And yeah. Then he started when we were out there elk hunting. I said, yeah, put it up. <laughs> <laughs> you need more practice. <laughs> but I can. Brendan's but I can keep me when I see you. Even if I can't use that, well, I can go grab one of them read calls or yeah. or I can still go out in the woods with my bow and I can have an encounter, right? So right. You, what you do is we work at the things we're good at and we keep holes in our game. Right. 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 Instead of working at the things that we're not so good at. Right. And, and Joe, look, it's, it's funny because I look at, I look, we talk about our journeys, right. And I'll look back at my journey and, and that very first trip I went out there with you guys, I thought I had a handle on things, you know, I was like, you know what, I know how to shoot my bow. I, you know, I got a decent setup. I, you know, I've shot at, at pigs before I kind of shot a few animals and hunted in public land. I think I got a handle on things and, <laughs> boy you know talk about realizing quickly that i didn't and uh <laughs> and, and that's the thing see the you know the next year i i try to fill up the gaps that i i realized i had on the first year right then when i got there next year i realized that oh you know what now that i have filled up these gaps now i've realized that i got way more gaps on this side too right so year after year is the process of what were my gaps last year? And dang it, you know, mm-hmm. what I need to work on in order to kind of try to fill those gaps. And, mm-hmm. and you know, if you don't have that drive for filling those gaps and that thirst, like you're saying, for knowledge and just kind of learning and, and, and look, I still <laughs> I, I got so many gaps, man. It's just unbelievable. But um, you, you, don't, you don't progress as a hunter um, and, yeah, bro, and you're not going to get any different quick. results. You yeah, close but, you closing them quickly. I've gotten to watch your yeah. whole elk hunting career, and you closing them quickly. You put the work in. You working extremely hard in the physical part, the mental part, and I think a lot of guys don't understand what we talk about the mental part. Because look, look, just having your ass whooped every day on that mountain is physical, but it will get in your mental psyche really quick because you can't go, uh, and it's because of your physical and. and guys like me are just stubborn. I can't go, but I'm going anyway. If I fall out, (laughs) I'll have to drag my ass up that mountain. At the end of the day, uh, I have so much confidence in my ability to close. If you can get me within 80 yards of that animal, he's in very bad trouble. 
So that's where I'm efficient, right, is in that clothes and, and being able to stalk in. And I feel like Chev and I've always said, if we feel like we see an animal, we feel like we can get in on him and kill him, right? right. Uh, Beto, you have, you have touched on something so important when you're talking about the mental part because a lot of people normally focus on, you know, like we're talking about, right, the, the, the behavior of the animal, the ability to shoot your weapon, mm-hmm. understanding your weapon, mm-hmm. speaking the language, you know, all these different knowledges. But, man, that is a deal breaker. Not yeah. having the, mind, the right mindset it can yeah. just ruin your hunt. And, uh, and look, it's, it's to me, that's still a work in progress. You know, I'd say that's something I continue to struggle with and, and from getting out of bed in the cold in the morning. Yeah, And then, and then also emotions, right? I mean, and all that stuff. It's just, uh, that's why I find this uh, to be such a beautiful, I don't know, uh, Topic. I don't want to call it a sport because I don't consider it to be a sport. I call, let's call it a way of life. Yeah. You yeah. know, I find it such a beautiful way of life. It's just because it's, it makes you grow as a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets to, it teaches you about yourself yeah. and, and the kind of person you are and the kind of person you want to be. And so, and, and it, it really reveals all the gaps that you have in your core. So Joe, you, you being a teacher, I mean, I'm sure one of the things that you always have your students do is do their homework, right, Joe? Oh, absolutely, man. And and that's a huge issue with a lot of these guys is that, you know, they're so excited to get there. And then once they get there, they realize that they really haven't done their homework for the area or they haven't done their homework and they chosen an area that's not going, that's going to put them in a tough situation, mm-hmm. you know, and all those other things that he's talking about, you know, the mental aspect of it, look, if you understand these different areas to become a more efficient elk hunter and you work in those areas, your mental strength is going to grow just from what you have in your background to lean on because you know what to believe in and you know that you have choices, you have options, and, and where to go with those because, you know, I'm out with um, Stephen, uh, one of my ex-student athletes, uh, just a week ago. And I'm telling you, first three days of that hunt, I struggled, man, because, you know, he's calling me. He's like, gee, I I drew for this area, and uh, can you come help out? And I'm like, I've never been in the area. I know elk, right? But I've never been there. So my homework, man, I had to jump on and start looking at things. Well, I start looking, but you don't know the current situation of the area at this time. I find the area that I think is just going to be a slammer. And we go up there only to find out that that area was so dry and overgrazed between uh, the the cattle lease that was on it during the year, uh, the elk and animals that have been on that because they hit that first thing up there because everything else was so dry. I mean, it was chewed down to the friggin' dirt and pulled, you know, there was no water up there where there had always been water. So, mm-hmm. you know, that knowledge factor now... A lot of people would have gone, I'm screwed, but mm-hmm. I have the background to, to know that, all right, so they're not here, so I've got to work now and find out where they are and use my skill set. So uh, I'm telling guys, you've got to do your homework, get to know the area, do your recon, and, and talk to ranchers, talk to locals, talk to biologists, rangers, talk to other hunters, talk to cowboys that work the area, talk to road workers. Man, uh, on the ranch that I work on, 
I'm going to give a shout-out to uh, Dave Weinbark. And Dave is a good friend of mine. I, I coached his daughter years, years ago. And Dave does all the road maintenance on the ranch. Let me tell you who knows where those animals are. Oh, car. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, dude, if you got somebody that does DOT during a certain time of year when it's yeah. snowing, you know, Department of Transportation, sure. give it, they give a yell and ask them, can, hey, anybody that runs y'all's blades out there regularly or doing this, can, do, you, do you think they'd mind if I give them a call in the, that are from this area? I mean, think about these different ways of getting information. Commuters, people that go back and forth from one place. You're in a restaurant and you find out somebody drives an hour from another location uh, through an area that you're hunting. Man, I bet you, I guarantee you. Hey, Chap, so when we go from here to Raton, can you name the places that the elk are crossing that highway? Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah I know about, about three or four places where you know they're going to be there, so... You, you hunt the area that's adjacent to those places. Yeah, absolutely, man. You were telling us about a place right after a bridge, I think by by Springer. Yeah. Uh, that, oh, uh, yeah. that they're always there at. And sure enough, yeah. man, as we were driving back, we just looked to happen to look to the right after we went through that bridge and they were there where. Yeah. Just yeah. A, yeah. a big herd of them. There, there are so many ways beyond biologists and beyond rangers and beyond game wardens to get information and you know i i've even mentioned if you're in, in a restaurant or you're in a grocery store and you know somebody sees you a camouflage and say you're out hunting as soon as somebody asks you that they have opened the door because they want to engage in a conversation and mm -hmm. i guarantee you you can get at least one nugget because when people ask you that they're usually local from the area and they want to let you know how much they know about hunting in their area I, yeah, I, people like to talk about themselves Joe. yes Just absolutely <laughs> take advantage of that man if yeah. if they're willing to give it so you know uh you know, you can find out top areas. You can talk about areas that are overlooked, honey holes, current conditions. Find out what the current conditions are, man. I mean, I, I had people that said their area was closed due to fire, right? Yeah. Well, I can tell you that had probably been a really hard area to hunt that year anyway. I mm -hmm. mean, if it was that dry to torch up like that. It could have been a tough area. You can find out about herd sizes, about annual movement. Uh, you can go to Colorado um, Division of Wildlife, and you can actually get migration routes mm -hmm. and put them on your Onyx or base map. They're KVM maps that you can load on that show their summer to winter routes. I mean, how huge is that information? Uh, problem areas. You know, call Game and Fish and find out which areas have to have the most deprivation hunts and generally deprivation is going to happen either in winter for you rifle hunters out there either in winter or right before winter you know when when guys are growing crops out there before they take them if they if it's uh uh hay or grass or anything like that those elk will hit those areas so um where the elk problems are and why they are there and find out what their annual food sources are you know where where they're liking to be in those areas so do your homework and uh when we scout we never look for elk 
We no, look. That's right. We look for elk sign and food sources. Yeah. And food sources. Food, water. <laughs> we know they're slaves to their bellies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, this year, water sources are gold. I bet. Mm-hmm. It's been so dry. Been so dry. You know, mm-hmm. thank goodness now we just got that 30 inches. That's going to help some, yep. you know, as far as we go. And uh, so what I'm going to do is we're still going to be talking about these areas. But, guys, I'm, you know, what does it take to be an efficient elk hunter? Here's, some of the, here's the areas, and we're going to talk about them more. Knowledge. Doing your homework. Understanding an elk's needs at the time of year that you're hunting. Understanding elk behavior. Being able to speak the language. Knowing shot placement and anatomy. Being equipped correctly and be deadly with your weapon under all actual hunting conditions. Don't just be that rock star in your backyard, mm-hmm. all right? You know, put yourself in uncomfortable positions and the type of stuff you hunt in and wind, drizzle, whatever it is. Have patience, persistence, and determination. And like Luis mentioned before, your mental and your physical conditioning is critical. But these areas are going to help you. Now, they're not these areas. Uh, you know, some of this will actually help you with physical conditioning. I, I get mm-hmm. in shape just from going out to find out elk activity and stuff you all did. the time. Right. Hike you in did. the hills, right? I would also add um, uh, to, to, to some of this, um, it... Uh, Man, I, I'm sorry. I kind of lost, lost. <laughs> I, I have it in my mind. It'll come back to me, and I'll. You're, I'll you're, you're over you know, forty. Seen your moments, son. <laughs> Let me tell you now. You make man, fun of me crazy. all the time, man, boy. I had this clear picture of what I was going to say. All of a sudden, Dang, <laughs> you so, know what's so funny is, man. He's always calling Joe camera, the old man. Camera B oh, up God. for him, man. <laughs> he's always calling Joe oh, the old man, and this dude's like got memory <laughs> loss all of a sudden, man. Straight oh, up man, off train of thought. Blanked out. Yeah. yeah. Get another drink, Luis. It's okay. Oh, I might need that. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, la- the last category that, and, and we'll, we'll probably know, is. I, I is, remembered. Oh, what? Okay. Woodsmanship. What? Woodsmanship. Woodsmanship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, what's in this- yeah. Yeah. I yeah. thought it, I thought he said something in chips. Yeah. <laughs> fish and chips. Oh no, that's not fish and fish and fish, chip. Fish and chips. Would say is like. No, woodsmanship's a big deal, man. And yeah. I'm, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to be able to hunt since I could carry a dadgum squirrel, you know, from my grandfather. So the woodsmanship that he taught me was invaluable, and understanding how to use cover for your, you know, to, for your approach on an animal and how do you get to sunlight behind you? I mean, there's just so much in being able to read the woods and the sign out there. And then, you know, and if I, somebody I, can camouflage behind a tree, yeah, that's man, y'all, 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 y'all got to see that. that. It's coming, <laughs> coming to you pretty quick. I'm, I don't know where it's at, but I know it's going to be somewhere for everybody to see. So, uh, yeah, when you get a little tree about that big around, it can hide me back here in the Vacru camo, boy. Whew, invisible. Uh, yeah, invisible. And, you know, invisible. and it's funny because you mentioned that, and, and I've left off totally the obvious, and it's because it's just so ingrained to me. I don't think about telling it, and, and that's right. understanding how to use the wind and thermals. Oh, man, you know? big. I mean, it's, it's huge. You won't see no elk if you can't do it. I promise you. They'll be there for sure. They'll be there, but you won't ever see them. Yeah, and, and, unless you're using it right. 
and I take I take it for granted. I mean, it's just something yeah. that is so ingrained in me that uh, I, it's it's part of my normal thinking in my woodsmanship when I'm out there. Yeah, right, right. Two times this year, uh, Brendan stopped me and was like, "Man, dude, you know we got the wind right at our back." I said, "Yeah, but that's not what I want to go. Where I want to go is go down and turn back into the wind. But we got to go this way to Absolutely. do that." You know, I said, "Listen." You know we're gonna have to we're gonna have to sacrifice a little bit to get some, but uh, there are a lot of things that you do that you know you're gonna have to sacrifice. And I said, however, Brendan, we had the wind at our back, but I want you to see something. The thermals are coming up as the day's coming. Watch this. I hit the hit the snuffer and it starts going the other way. And he goes, "How did you know that?" I said, "Well." For number one is the day heats up, that stuff's going to move, you know. So mm-hmm. um, it's just about understanding that. And if you hadn't put, again, man, if you hadn't put your time in the woods, understand the thermals and understand the wind. Um, and there is a prevailing wind in every place that you hunt. Sure. You know, that, that'll even, bend thermals. You, know you bet. I mean? and, and a lot of areas, too, will create a funnel <clears throat> uh, of wind that comes through there as well. Just a natural funnel where it If you're it in a canyon, yeah. yeah. Right. So, I mean, guys, it's just about putting the time in the woods uh, for us. And and Luis is 100% right. Woodsmanship is huge. And for you guys that are first timers out there, a lot of times y'all don't have that, right? So if we can help you with some of that stuff, you know, take notes. And and, uh, when you're out there, check all that stuff out. And, you know, a lot of people make a mistake in thinking that thermals, you know, they hear that as the air warms up, thermals are going up. As the air cools, they're going down. But what they don't understand is thermals are a lot like the rut. Yeah. In that in different locations, it's it can different. be different, right? For sure. yeah. And That's why I you mean, carry your little snuffer bottle with you. And, yep. You know, a lot of guys now are putting feathers on their bows with a little piece of thread, and, you know, they can see that. But for me, it's the talcum powder that does the trick, so... Oh, uh, we carry a bunch of it. And, and, and oh, I'm going to tell you that all talcum powders are not built equally either. That's right. I mean, there's some that's of them, right. man. I mean, your spray, spray, spray. It's hard to see that thing. It's like looking at a daggum ghost, man. Get something that you can see when it. Right. You know, it but you don't get the ones that smell like baby. <laughs> that's Manano. Manano got baby powder in his, man. He, he's got the Brute by Fabergé powder. Man. I ain't looking at it. And if you don't have one with you, I mean, people see me all the, uh, I don't know if you uh, remember Gladiator when he bends down mm-hmm. and he puts that dirt in his hand and he kind of mm-hmm. does like that. I mean, the yeah, dust like from the, hourglass. yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you can, there's a lot and, of And where, you know, when we got the three inches of snow, Joe, we had, we could tell <laughs> real quick which way yeah. the wind was going, man, with our own breath, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but like you guys can walk outside right now. I imagine and put your finger out and make a hole. It's that well, that's, that's why when we were going up the hill, bro, I would just turn around and watch you breathe, and I could tell which way the wind was going. <laughs> Heck yeah, because I had plenty of it coming out, boy. <laughs> Beto, the wind checker. Yes, sir. <laughs> what are you looking at? I'm looking at my wind checker. <laughs> out of breath, wind checker. <laughs> Dog Joe, you're gonna freaking kill, kill me. me, man. You know, uh, an, another thing that I talked to those guys about last night, you know, when we were talking about success, and when I think back at the things that, because really, honestly, guys, remember, to be consistently efficient uh, as an elk hunter and a consistently efficient elk hunter, uh, you have to... Uh, 
um, how do I want to say this? You know, I I can I can speak the language, right? And and why is that important? Because you have to consistently be able to create opportunities. Yeah. If you because elk hunting, you're going to blow a lot of opportunities, man. Especially so the more me. opportunities you're able to create and that your encounters you're able to have, your odds go up and being mm-hmm. able to finish that. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think being able to speak the language to me has been huge because i mean chav you can remember times i mean it, it wasn't even uh, we would go in october we would go in the summer and we'd call an elk you know we'd cow call right right and we'd see elk all the time it wasn't just that we were talking to elk only during the rut and a lot of people they're, they're like well is calling effective well it depends on just what you're trying to do cows are always going to be especially after the rut man i think they become more conversational mm-hmm. uh once those bulls get off there and those lead cows are taking care of everything i mean i i hear them all the time being it very social. all the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yep absolutely so and understanding the situations of that language and understanding the natural, what's natural when they're doing that in certain positions, I think is, is really huge. And Another shameless plug for our academy, man. It's, well, let me it's give a, a shameless ball, man. look. It Chris tells Rowe, you exactly what to do. Chris Rowe, you know, Paul Medell, the elk nut. Yep. Um, uh, Corey Jacobson is a world championship caller. You, you know, there's so many good people out there. Uh, Chappelle is uh, a real great one to listen to. Um, you know, uh, uh, Michael Batiste. If you've never listened to anything from Michael Batiste, man, he is phenomenal. And Michael's a great yeah. guy, and he really pays attention to the different things and reactions from elk. And if you haven't heard any of these names, man, go out there and look them up. And yeah. and these are guys that make a living at being successful elk hunters. They're very efficient. And they're efficient in two ways. They consistently harvest animals, and, man, they put them down, right? Uh, so the, those are guys that, that you want to follow. And, you know... I think another thing that's really helped me is I don't know how patient I am. Um, I'm I'm pretty much. <laughs> no, <Gilbert. laughs> that don't go in elk hunting with you, brother. <laughs> yeah. No, you know I have seen you be patient at times, when, especially during the middle of the the close of the deal, right? Uh, right. You, you do you are patient, but getting to the close, no. Nah. Uh, but like I said, when it comes time for Joe to be patient, he's, he's an assassin. So he, he waits his time out. Right. But getting there, man, you can blow up 10 opportunities before you get to the close. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of notorious for that, but for sure. Hey man, I love it. I, I dig it. I'm, I'm the same way. But I, like I follow, it. I think I follow up that with that determination Ooh. and persistence, man. Like, oh you know? man. Like and, a rat on a Cheeto, bro. I mean, <laughs> no doubt. And I think that's huge, man. I think a lot of people, and understand something, when we talk about this gut check and when we talk about the struggles that you're going to have hunting elk, is I can tell you you can go four days, five days, and not have an encounter. 
hours and hours and hours hiking, sleepless nights, um, hungry. You can have all this that can really wear at you. And then the one moment that you slip and you lose focus, you're going to come face to face with an elk. And are you going to be ready for it? Because it only takes a minute for everything to change. Yep. It's it it can take just a moment. A hundred yards up and a hundred yards over a ridge. You know, unbelievable difference. Yeah, around each turn, and it, and it it never fails that you're you know you're going going going, and after a while you start daydreaming, you start having conversation, you start eating, come around a turn, and you're face to face with a herd. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly that's how it happens. You or you <laughs> bump in, you or you bump into some other hunters. You know, when you're like, oh, man, I bumped into these guys, man, there ain't going to be no elk in the area, and you just start tromping off, and then all of a sudden, boom, there they are, right in front of you. And ain't, you know, 10 minutes hadn't gone by, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, we've had that happen, Joe, you know. Uh, it's part of it. You, yeah. and, and, you know, I think being determined to just not give up, you know you're in the area that's got some elk. That's a huge deal. And then – Man, and then just living for it, you know, Joe. You yeah. talk about the guys that you ride the river with. I mean, we live to do this. Yeah. You know, it says it in our opening line of, you know, uh, blue collar elk hunting. Man, we live to hunt elk, and it yeah, is absolutely. no doubt. I mean, one of my most, one of the, it is one of the favorite, most favorite things I do. I wish, like I said, I had, t- you know, ten times more time to do it. Uh, but I live for those seven to 10 days where I can get up there in those hills and go match wits with the best athletes in the world. And, and let me tell you something of, about that is that yesterday I hunted in an area that when I drove around, I look, I mean, dude, there's hardly a blade of grass out there. You know I mean? Yeah. I mean, hi, I mean, it's a prairie. It's freaking flat. There's no trees. I mean, when you talk about where you expect to see elk and I'm driving through this where I can see miles man and you're like this is the last place i'll figure i'm gonna find a herd of elk and there's so many little dips and rises oh yeah and i came over and a friggin herd of 300 head appeared out in this flatland and (laughs) (laughs) it's like and moses cast them down (laughs) (laughs) well that that brings up another important point is uh it's not as flat as it seemed so what did you use to your advantage to get to it well (laughs) i mean i know but you tell us yeah so um i took i took Guys, let me tell you where base maps comes in handy, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I saw, I showed you a photograph of of the track of this herd going through the snow. It was it. literally fifty yards wide, and I could see that from a half mile away. And I could see where it was going over these little rises. I looked at my base map and I flipped it to topography, and I could see where they were going into. I mean, it's not a giant drop, but it was a depression. And then I was able to see a road that was on a a level with that, with a higher level between it. So I drove to that area, and I got out, and and I just, it did not take much, because that elevation doesn't change a ton. And I came up, and I'm 
trying to look over it as I'm rising up and I look and I don't see anything. I'm like, God, where did they go? And I look to my right, they're only 400 yards away from me in a little <laughs> depression. I mean, and I, the depression, the way it went from my level, I saw maybe 30 out of the 300, right? Yeah, yeah. So I go back and I get my hunter and because there was a two-track road going towards them. You know how two tracks will kind of erode into mm-hmm. the ground level, right? Mm-hmm. So with with a little bit of a rise and with that little raise on that road in this snow country, I got my hunter, and he got right behind me. I took his rifle to make sure I had it in front, and we started on our hands and knees crawling to a point where I could barely see the top of those animals. And then, because of the the, the wear in the two-track, only the <clears throat> animals in front of us had a chance of seeing us. The ones on the sides, we could see little bit of ears and backs and stuff, but they couldn't see us. We did. We crawled on our hands and knees for 150 yards. Then, once we got to that point, I was so proud of this guy, man. I mean, I dropped down to belly crawl, and we started belly crawling 50 yards to get into position and doing it where basically we're starting to see the animals more in front of us and we're able to get into a sitting position. You talk about patient. We waited there for 30 minutes. Oh, wow. Because we were able to sit. And now this is in snow and freezing daggum cold. Now we're wet, too, because we've been crawling through it. And I managed to get him in a sitting position uh, in there. And now we're just like anything else out there, you know, because we're not moving. And we stayed with that herd 30-some minutes later they all got up. They were bedded. They started getting up and started milling around and then coming straight at us. And what was originally a 300-yard shot became a 126-yard shot wow. on, on a cow to the side of us. It, it was epic, man. That's and then awesome. after we shoot, every all the elk are like looking at, like, you know, like, what just happened? Yeah. You know, they're looking around like that because there's no way out in this flatland something could be shooting at us. You know? exactly. How could <laughs> something get in on us out here? We're yeah. way out here in the middle. Yeah, wow. I mean, they, we so have the wind. Here's a picture of that, guys. I don't know if they can actually see it. but Oh, yeah, that's the track. Look at yeah, that. That's, that's the I mean, track right that's there. That's 50 yards wide of that, right? Unbelievable. So, yeah, it was crazy. and. Cool. You know, and then we got to see 300 head all get up and start, you know, just disappearing over hill to hill to hill. Wow. So it was, Joe, you said something result. very important. It, it was awesome. That's the, awesome. End, yeah. the end result. Yeah, you said something awesome. very important there uh-huh. that kind of stroke a nerve with me here. And you said you grabbed the rifle because you wanted to make sure that that rifle, as you guys were crawling, changing the conditions in which somebody carries a rifle, right, could have potentially you know, cause an accident. So right. I think one of the things as far as if we go back to the things that, you know, we, when we are thirst for knowledge should also include just kind of the safety precautions safety. that we all have to take into consideration all the time. So oh, that's, yeah. that's what you just said. It's just like, man, that's absolutely right. I mean, something can go wrong so easily oh, crawling sure. with somebody with a rifle behind you. Same with, you know, arrows, the same with, you know, broadheads that are, just going up and down a tree stand, any any situation. So and, be mindful of that. And I knew before I handed it back to him to check the front of his scope to see if there was anything, any obstruction, to check the sure. back of any obstructions because yeah. these are things that I've seen go wrong in the past, you know. So uh, 
I mean, it was it was really epic, and I was so That's proud so of him. Cool. And uh, at his age, because it, it, the gentleman uh, was uh, uh, he was your age, Chav. He was sixty eight, uh, mm-hmm. and awesome. uh, um, you know, when we got done, I think the cool thing was to him he had an incredible memory mm-hmm. and he you know he said you know at my age i thought me doing what i just did was something I, that was gone to happen yeah yeah and uh you know it, it brought something special into his life and that's golden i mean that you is bet, man you don't so you don't what's all about that's what it's all about. So, guys, um, you've heard about our areas that we talked about, efficiency, um, what it takes. If any of those bring up questions or you want to hear, and we've talked about a lot of this stuff more in detail on our podcast, but at any time you have questions, you want to hear more detail, hey, you're going to hear a lot anyway from us. Just throw it out there and we'll do it. So um, let's go to Elk Bros Mailbox. That's that right. good, so, Joe. First up on... Uh, uh, first up on the Elbros mailbox, we got Mr. Jonathan Bruce. We covered some of his uh, questions last podcast, but right. he was full of questions, and we got some a couple more from him. And thank you, thank you for sending us uh, all your questions. Mr. Jonathan Bruce Bruce is from Eugene, Oregon, <laughs> and uh, his question today, one of his questions is, how should a hunter use or and interpret game cams? What are they actually telling the hunter? How can they be best used before hunting season and during hunting season? Well, um, you guys use them for deer. Absolutely. And I would use them for, so for me, Mr. Jonathan, I would use them for either travel corridors, seeing how often they use those travel corridors, and especially over wallers and and water sources. Uh, I mean, you know how frequently bulls and cows are frequently those places and the reason why i know this is because my late friend carl gamage used to use them as well and he would he would know uh what bulls were in the area and he would know you know the amount of cows that were in the area too now a lot of that changes once season starts and pressure gets to them but at least you have an idea of what kind of bulls you have in the area and if they're using said wallows and said uh watering stations yeah, I, I've never, I don't own a game cam. I've never used one. I know a lot of people that have shown me pictures of bulls, and I don't I don't have any friends that have ever killed a bull um, that they've had on their game cam in the area that they, that they did that. Now, I know Carl has, you know, we've taken bulls on, on his place that he had on a game cam that's someplace right. in, on the ranch, but yeah, it wasn't right. necessarily that area. Yeah, and, and, and the way I see it, Joe, with elk is kind of different, you know, because they, they move around so, so much. Nomadic. You can't really, you know, get a pattern on them by with using game cameras. But uh, to Gilbert's point, the way we use it is, you know, if, if we have a, an area where we have feeders and stuff like that, and we like to see what's coming in, we like to tag animals that if you're doing any sort of management, you want to no. take an older deer, you know, you want to make sure you know what it looks like, you know, what kind of deer he is. And then, um, you know, it's a huge or, management tool. Yeah. And, and then Raph and I use it to kind of, you know, be able to, to, to predict what the, the hogs are doing. And, and it's extremely helpful to know when and 
how they're coming in. And and you know that's that's good early season before elk start rutting because I think they're more patternable. But I no think doubt. once that rut starts, I think it throws a lot of stuff out the window. All but I but I think what Gilbert said I think is huge though because to me cows where cows like to be is Bulls pretty much the same areas year after year after year, and a lot of that's because. They're areas that generally have good feed in them, yeah. right? And, and it's just cover. like we said, Chav <laughs> told you he could name three places, four places where we see animals crossing the highway all the time. There's mm-hmm. a reason for that. So I think I think Gilbert's idea of the corridor is probably the best because when you find those areas that they like to, they like to travel through back and forth from one area to the other, they might change their their bedding area mm-hmm. but it's going to be kind of in the same area they might right. change their feed but it's going to kind of be in the same area but generally they use they know those corridors to get from i mean think think about uh an area that that we've hunted that we know when they go from the bottom how they're going to get up to the top most you of bet. the time you know mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. to a t oh, a lot of times mm-hmm. right so i i think i think that has a lot of validity to it. And I I don't know. I think the other part is just people getting excited. I, You know, they get a chance to talk about the elk. They see the elk. They show off the pictures, and they do things like that. I just hope they don't get disappointed because they're like, man, I saw 30 bulls in here in August, but where did they yeah. go? Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, it's just a, a snapshot in time, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're there at one time. You know, if you get a lot of a lot of photos and there's a lot of cows in there, well, you know it's going to be used. But you know, you may not see those bulls again. But mm-hmm. you know, there's a good chance a different one will come in. Sure. Yeah. But and, uh, when I they think start it's coming in. you know, if you have the early early hunt and you get out there, you know, opening morning, you know, it's probably going to be a good spot. But after that, you know, their migration will change. So yeah, as yeah. the pressure you know, hit comes. Miss. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Chow. You know, and, and I'll tell you another use for it, man. Um, gosh, if you want to put that game can where you keep your vehicle and your camp, <laughs> yeah. you know. You keep uh, honest people honest. Yeah, well, and oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've, yeah, we've seen where some people have had some issues. And man, uh, you, you might even find that there's critters coming into your camp as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's uh, different different uses for it. That's right. Joshua's up next. Uh, Joshua Cochran with out of Roswell, New Mexico. Uh, he helped a Minnesota Elk Bros grinder, uh, Jeff, pack out his elk. Man, you are the man, awesome, Joshua. Dude. But way and, to go, brother! Way to spread some of the Elk Bros cheer, man. And and he and Joshua knows about aliens too, man. He's yeah. from Roswell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's from Roswell. He should, huh? They uh, have the coolest. They have the coolest alien uh, celebration festival and stuff in Roswell. It's pretty neat. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, he he writes in to us and he says, "Guys, what is a good call to use when a bull is bugling in the afternoon?" Now, I'm assuming he's not talking about, like, the brand of call, right? I, no, I think he's, no, I think he's talking about call. the type. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, if you're hearing a bull bugling in the afternoon, it could be, I mean, if it, what you have to do is you have to determine, is that bugle moving? Right. You know, or is he staying in the same place? Because he's staying that starts, in the same place he's bedded. Yeah, he's he's bedded. He's just advertising, and and I'm telling you, if he is bugling, um, 
I, I want to get in on that guy, right? If, if he's bugling in the afternoon from a lower feed area, then most likely he's already in his destination. Mm. If he's bugling from up on top of a hill, then most likely he's Coming getting down. ready to, yeah, he's going to move to a destination at some point. Now, if this is midday, like Gilbert said, that dude's probably bedded. Right. Yeah, and I, I'm assuming in the afternoon he mm -hmm. maybe he does mean midday. I don't know. For me, for me, Joshua, it would depend on the time of the year. Are we early, late, mid, late season, or and also what time of the afternoon? Right. Uh -huh. I mean, so if we're afternoon, is that twelve thirty, one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, four o'clock? As we get later, those bulls are actually going to start moving back down to their feeding areas and stuff like that. Or but up it, to it, a feeding area. Or up to a feeding area. Yeah, that's right. right. Uh -huh. uh, but if it's like straight up noon, one o'clock, a lot of times they can be already up there in their bedding area. And look, if you got the wind right, man, you can sneak in there on that booger. Uh, like Joe said, he's telling you exactly where he's at so if you, it's really then about playing the wind and can you make the approach to get in there on him without blowing him out of there you know where so, he's at now you know so kind of to answer his question the way i read y'all's answers and and adding something to it i think it also depends of what kind of bugling is he making um just if you can interpret his bugle as aggressive or as location or as gathering. Yeah, just uh, adver advertising, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah uh -huh. advertising. But, um, I, you know, what I'm getting from you guys is like, okay, if he's given up his location and you can pinpoint what he's doing, then you make a decision to get as close as possible before you even if make you a can. call. Yeah. yeah. And if then you if you hey, do you make a call. Yeah. If you do make a call, I mean, the way I would do it, Joe, but um, obviously you guys can correct me here, is that, you know, same same way we start. If if you if you don't see them and you want to start bringing them in, you probably start with your cow calls and then um, see his response to the cow calls and try a location bugle, um, being a lover instead of a fighter, and then see how he responds to that. And just only escalate up if you see him escalating up with you that way he'll just try to come in but if not just if he responds to something in between from going up from the cow call to an aggressive bugle if he responds to something in between then stick with that oh man you guys make me so proud man. <laughs> I mean, just, just to just to hear some of the stuff that uh that you guys are doing and and i'm gonna add to luis you know uh if if this is a bull that's advertising and he's in his bed and i get close yeah i'm always gonna start with a cow call uh i, I because cow calls always let you they set you up for so much you can have that animal that responds to that uh, and if he responds to that and he starts bugling and coming into you, man, why change anything? You give right. them what they it want, right? right. Yeah. And one thing I like to do on a midday animal that's bedded, though, is instead of right away maybe testing that temperature, what I might do is instead start introducing some sounds like another bull that's with that cow without yeah. doing a bugle. I can introduce some of those breeding sounds. I can, yeah, some huffs, some puffs, some glunks, you know, some whines <laughs> and different things like that because he's going to hear that cow. He's going to mm -hmm. hear it. But then when he hears another bull's there, 
you know, instead of me engaging him directly. Again, remember, sometimes I'll, one of the most effective things Ignore. is not to in, engage that you animal there. You, you know, so. And, and you got to remember, too, that he may have cows with him. So when sure. you're making your approach, you need to be mindful of those eyes that are going to be watching you, man. Sure. Uh, no, it's a. And that's that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to sound off every now and then if he's bedded, and uh, you can get in there on him. For me, I'd like to see him before I figure out what I want to do. You know, uh, if I can get eyes on him, man, I know exactly what I want to do because I can mm-hmm. see his his uh, his whole demeanor. You know, a lot of times that's hard to do, but it uh, is especially on a bedded midday bedded. bull because yeah. they're going to have the advantage. You're moving and. You know, uh, they're General, not. He's at a higher band. He's a higher level, yeah, and he's usually in crap. You know, yeah. so it's you know, hard to see hard them to sometimes. Do, for sure. But uh, unless there's snow on the ground. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've seen that before. But Josh, there's a, a a lot of things that that talk to that, like you know, like like Louis said, is his temperament and how he responds. And like if I, we always start with cow calls, but so if you're asking what call to use, we always start with a cow call. We just one or two or three little cow calls when we come in to see how he reacts. If I then sound like a bull just, and not give away any kind of, by doing low guttural bull sounds, and then he screams at that, um, now things have changed because I, I have a bull that it's like Luis has said, he's shown his aggression. And if he screams like that, uh, I might continue what I'm doing. And as I hear him like starting to come in and he screams again, if I'm hearing him coming towards me, I don't have to do a lot. He's coming in. But if he's staying over there, he's screaming. Now, if he screams at me, I might smack him in the face, cut him off. And, yeah, it just kind of depends on the escalation of the situation. Yeah. And we could have a whole podcast on that. But so Absolutely. hopefully we do. Some, some, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. For sure. So hopefully some of that has helped you right there. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, so next we have Jonathan Bruce again. And I think this is his last question. Uh-huh. And, and, again, he's from Eugene, Oregon. He says, do you use synthetic estrus? Is there any difference between that and authentic stuff? When should that stuff be used? Pre-rut to start it off or during the rut? And uh, actually, we don't. Uh, you know, if anything, we kind of use it, it would be more as a cover scent. You know, I've seen Joe Rowland stuff many times. <laughs> 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 he's, he's become a bit more civilized the last couple of months. <laughs> well, like I told you, it's because we hunt in groups, and you know when I hunt when I hunt by myself or just me and Chab, I yeah, I, synthetic estrus, um, no, never use anything uh, outside the woods. And like Chab said, if anything, we're going to stay as scent free as possible. But if I find fresh urine. Uh, I used to constantly roll in the fresh urn and get as stanky as I could, man. And thank um, God he don't know more. <laughs> I just stay in the tent with him. But when we're together, I mean that cancels out everybody. Everybody thinks they smell elk all the time. Yeah, it's just, yeah. It's, it's That's just, a disadvantage. You keep smelling elk, and it's you. <laughs> you know, we use we use synthetic estrus, and we use authentic stuff in the deer hunting community. So I think maybe he's. Uh, I haven't seen any synthetic estrus even on the market. Is there synthetic or elk estrus? I, I couldn't out there? tell you. I, I never look at for scents anymore. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. I, I know there's tons of deer, you know what I mean? Tink 69 and oh, I, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. And look, I'm telling you, it works. I've used it and uh, they smell it. They're going to come look for it. Right. Deer curious animals. And maybe yeah. for a tree stand, possibly. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe for, you, you like know, you year, said, yeah, years ago, I, I saw a bottle of cow estrus or cow urine mm -hmm. and I smell cow urine, the real thing all the time. Mm -hmm. And when I opened that bottle and I smelled it, yeah, it was like, ooh, that's Punch not it. it. You know, mm -hmm. I, it just yeah. it just seemed out of place to me. And mm -hmm. so I, I never went with that. And so, no. Uh, and yeah. But the so, place to use it is pre-rut and during the rut. There's sure. no doubt about it. I mean, sure. if you have some of it and you want to use it, that's the correct place to be using. Uh, you could even use it in October, man. Oh, I mean, yeah. Man, look, that first part up. That yeah, first... If, if it worked, I mean, yeah. that's yeah. when you would use it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, uh, uh, Brandon Evers from uh, Johnstown, Colorado. Hey, Drew, Drew Sayer, uh, you've got a question that has a lot of questions in it. We're going to hit you next time. We're going to end on Brandon here. So, uh, Drew from Birmingham, Alabama, wait till the next show, bro. You're coming up. So, Brandon from Johnstown, Colorado, he says, we hunted a Colorado unit between uh, two 100,000-acre fires, and he said the smoke was terrible. Uh, I had a cow downwind of me at 50 yards, and she couldn't smell me. He said the smoke was so bad my nose was on fire, so I can only imagine how she was feeling. My question is, does the lack of smell affect the rutting? We noticed as the fires picked up, the elk seemed to settle down. And I... Interesting. I definitely think it does, man, because... If you think about it, what starts the rut is when a cow yep. comes Scent. in estrus. Those yep. bulls pick up their those Scent. pheromones, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, Gilbert, you told me about a dog's nose. A dog's nose can pick up smells in parts per billion. Parts per billion, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think an elk's nose is better than a dog's nose I, I would assume so yes sir yeah so um, imagine if that smoke is bothering you <laughs> with our minimal smelling ability mm -hmm. how much it's dysfunctioning an elk's nose and so I, I think it could definitely I mean it could keep bulls from smelling cows right Oh, yeah, for sure. I think you would definitely see a second and third estrus if that's what's that going area. on, because a lot of them bulls aren't going to be able to smell those cows coming in. Yeah. Although if you have a big bull to cow concentration, the bulls are going to be around the cows, and uh, they might be able to send them up uh, if they catch a, where the wind isn't blowing that smoke on them what? the whole time. So I don't and, know. You know, I think no, it will I, affect it. I, no, I think you make a good point. I, I think the herd bull himself – who's mm -hmm. got his cows with them, or, you know, he's staying so close to them and he's trailing them. Mm -hmm. But those bulls in the wings mm -hmm. that... Uh, it really affects him. Yeah, it's really yeah. going to affect them, man. They're yeah. not going to smell when that happens there. And it's them screaming and that bull screaming back and forth that lights it up for everything around there. So, no, I think that could... But I'll tell you this, um, Brandon, I, I, this year everybody talked about how it seemed like the animals were not as talkative now... Whether that's true or not, I think that's a great conversation because, I mean, we were in them and they were screaming. So, uh, but, you know, if, if it's a full moon and they're in the trees before daylight, it's kind of like we if, had that too. Yeah, if, if a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody there to hear it, 
you know, didn't yeah, make a noise. Like you dang skippy it does. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's the same thing with the elk, man. I mean, if that elk's in the forest and he's bugling, there's nobody else there to hear it. Well, it just sounds like there's no elk bugling. So. Right. <laughs> that's right, Joe. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I would like to talk with a game biologist, too, to get their take on it. It'd be something sure. good that you could talk to uh, uh, the game biologist that you talked to up there at Vermejo. What's his name? Uh, Joe Lance, Lance, Lance Bernal. Bernal. Yeah. yeah. Be good to ask him about that. He probably has some research data that could support or not support it. So give us a few seconds, a uh, few days to do, do a little bit of research. Maybe we can report back on that. And now uh, that you mentioned that, um, Lance did a podcast with, um, uh, with, uh, not a grande on the last one and it was he was really talking about what he does as a biologist and some of the research behind that and how they come to conclusions about you know how many animals to hunt and the effect of that it was a fan i think everybody should listen to that man i mean it was really a fantastic podcast on on elk behavior biology it was uh it was really cool and i just listened to another one um today that uh, on uh, Jim Huntsman, the Western Huntsman podcast, mm -hmm. that, uh, and I don't want to say the gentleman's name because I'll get it wrong because it's just, you know, I, I'm, I'm pulling some of that old age thing that Luis is going through. But he is a, um, <laughs> this guy knows more of, I think he wrote uh, the model for, northern the pressure uh, the pressure is on joe i recovered quickly i remember so the northern big game model that we yeah. utilize in oh. in north america he wrote this and oh, wow. he does all the studies on deer elk moose. You talking about craig boddington craig no Boddington? no he's he's german Oh, gotcha. Um, okay. And uh, in in fact, I'm, I'm I I was just listening to this earlier, so I know that I have that on here. And I think, man, I tell you what, they they, they talked about it was Doctor Various Geist, um, ah, and cool. his his name was spelled uh, his his last name is G E I S T. Valerius, Valerius Geist, and uh, it was on ethological, ecological balance between animals. And let me tell you what, the things that he talks about in this are mind-boggling mm -hmm. that we've never even considered. That's cool. And, and how um, our northern model of ecology for our big game, uh, and this guy, you know, has nothing against wolves. He just talks facts. But he talks about how mm -hmm. introduction of wolves now and some of the things that we're doing with predators are destroying that model. Uh, it, it He talks oh, about man. things about Absolutely. how to um, – that actually whitetails and mule deer can live side by side. But there's some things that we are doing as hunters that cause mule deer to disappear in areas that whitetail come into. I mean, it just – it was it – was, it, fascinating so i'm throwing that out there that you guys should listen to that again that's the western huntsman podcast and dr valerius geist on there check it out 
That's awesome, man, Joe. Well, you know, guys, uh, it's been unbelievable the content that comes out of our coaches and, you know, uh, the leader of the Venezuelan mafia. Hey, thank you. Thank Luis you. <laughs> I know he's not. After, I, I'm going to run for the leader moment, of the Venezuelan man. mafia, man. <laughs> after, his, yeah. after his senior moment, I knew he needed a little pick-me-up. So, <laughs> yeah, thank uh, you, brother. At the end yeah, of the day, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so good to have, have these t- discussions for guys that are still out there in the woods getting it done, Joe. I mean, you're hunting still with your with mm-hmm. guiding and stuff like that. So it's been fantastic to get this content out to our listeners. Guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review. You got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to, uh, and you can check out more uh, elk hunting. Yeah, we didn't get a single. We didn't get a single review last week, man. man I was that's, that's, that's harsh. That's harsh, man. We need <laughs> we need to have everybody going and rating and reviewing us uh, on Apple Podcasts and YouTube as well. You can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. Uh, and you know, guys, if you'd like to have your questions answered on the show, just send your question to info at elkbros.com. Check our academy out when you're on our, our webpage. It's second to none. Like we say down here from Texas, husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Keep your broad heads sharp and your powder dry. We'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Peace, 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 y'all. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>